Welcome to the Commonwealth Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate poetry and the Commonwealth with people from across the Commonwealth. I'm Giles Brandreth. And I'm Afra Brandreth. We're a father and daughter based in London in the UK. But each week, online or in person, we're visiting a different Commonwealth country. And when we get there, we're going to talk about poetry with someone from that country who cares about poetry, knows about poetry, often writes their own poetry. And they're going to share with us two or three of their favourite poems. This week, we'll be finding out more about Canada and its poetry. We, Afra and I, know a bit about Canada because we have Canadian relatives. Well, I know it's the second largest country in the world, and I love Canadian maple syrup, but I've never actually visited. So you give us the facts in just a minute, Dad. I have visited often. Population around 37 million, capital Ottawa, area 10 million square kilometres, borders the United States to the south and the US state of Alaska to the northwest. It's also next to the Pacific, Arctic and Atlantic Oceans. There are mountain ranges, thousands of lakes, rivers, lowlands, plains and prairies and lots of our relations. Canada joined the Commonwealth in 1931 under the Statute of Westminster and they have two official languages, English and French. And don't forget the maple syrup, Dad. The maple leaf is Canada's national symbol, and Canada produces around 75% of the world's pure maple syrup, so your pancakes won't go short. From pancakes to poetry, because today we're meeting a remarkable Canadian poet who has made her home in Edinburgh in Scotland. Her poetry has appeared in journals internationally, She received the Muriel Spark Centenary Award in 2018. Her debut collection, Settle, was shortlisted for the Melita Hume Poetry Prize. She's an academic, PhD. Uh, She's currently Research Associate at the Newcastle Centre for Literary Arts at Newcastle University. She is Teresa Munoz. Am I saying that right, Teresa? Munoz. Munoz. It's there, Munoz. (laughs) And what is the origin of your name? Um, I have a Spanish grandfather, so... um... And uh, yeah, so who's who's from Madrid? So Munoz, lots of lots of Munozes in, in in Madrid. Very good, and quite a few Munozes in Canada. You are now a Canadian. You're a Canadian citizen. Yes, I am. Yeah, I was and born in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. Very good. Now tell us about your. Give us your story before we come on to your poetry. Tell us, as it were, about your childhood. I've been to. Have, have you been to Vancouver? I've never been to Canada. You've never been to Canada? No. We have so many Canadian relatives. You, we, anyway, I have been to Vancouver. I, I loved it. And Victoria Island. I, I'm, one of my best memories ever is a picnic in Squamish. Uh, I know Squamish very well. Yeah, that sounds great. It great was great. Nice. So why were you born in Canada? Who are your parents? What is your story? Y- yes. Um, yeah, I'm... Born in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, I have a, as I said, I have a Spanish grandfather, um, but I also have uh, Filipino parents. Um, so lots of migration in my family. I have a Spanish grandfather who moved to the Philippines and um, and had my father. And then my parents are, are both Filipino, but they actually met in Canada because they migrated to Canada. I was born in Canada and then I moved to the UK. So quite a lot of migration in my family. Um, I'm the youngest of four girls uh, growing up in Vancouver, which was wonderful. And um, I got into poetry because my dad is a poet and he published a small volume of, of poems before having a big family. Um, 
so it's always been really special to me to to share that with my dad and um who was who is always a big fan of my work and, and things so that's always been great um I got into poetry growing up I grew up in a small town just outside of Vancouver where you can see all the mountains and the lakes and things um by going to the library every week actually and taking out a number of books and um I had very big glasses at the time <laughs> and I would uh go through all the books in library and eventually I came through to the poetry section um I remember that very well and I remember the first poem though that always kind of stuck with me that I still remember or that I kind of recite once in a while was uh Dennis Lee's alligator pie and Dennis Lee was uh I know he's still there he's um he was he's a poet around the Margaret Atwood era so coming about in about the 60s and 70s and it was a poem that I still sometimes recite when I'm like going for a run or something just to give me some rhythm and it's something like it's something like alligator pie, alligator pie. If I don't get some, I think I'm gonna die. And it says, give away the green grass, give away the sky, but don't give away my alligator pie. And I think that's why I, I think about it when I'm running because of all the beautiful Scottish skies around here. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think about that. So that was maybe the first poem I kind of encountered that gave me a sense of rhythm. And when you were a little girl, did they teach poetry at school? Did your Either your parents or your teachers read poems to you? Um, we did. We did. There was a lot of um there was there's a lot of singing and 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 a lot of poetry at, at school, but it was all very um it wasn't it was very traditional and things like that. And but we learned some beautiful things. Um, you know, we really celebrate First Nations heritage in Canada. So we sang a lot of Land of the Silver Birch and, and we had a lot of poem songs in that way. And we learned a lot in French, actually, um, considering yeah, because Canada is bilingual. So I learned a lot of poetry that way. But my dad was is probably my biggest influence. I remember when I was about 10, he gave me this big volume of um, of international poetry. And that's where I discovered all these different poems. And when did you first try writing poems yourself? Um, I think in my teens, you know, everyone writes bad teenage poetry. I'm sure we've all been there, but uh, I think I published my first poem when I was 16 in, in a real magazine. It was a magazine that came out of uh, Vancouver Island, the Claremont Review. And um, I don't remember really what it was about. I think it was about shapes and relationships and things. And uh, But I just remember feeling like, that, that sort of feeling you get when you when you kind of realize, oh, this is something I want to do the rest of my life. I think it came then, but also with the other poem. Um, and I remember in high school, and this is the poem I'm going to read later. It was the poem that kind of gave me the feels. You know, when you read something for the first time and you get that sort of feelings about it. And it was a poem by Gwendolyn McEwen. And um, it was from her 1972 collection, The Shadow Maker. And... Um, and anyway, it, it's the first line is something like, this land is a mirror that turns you inward. I remember reading that when I was a teenager thinking, oh, wow, how can that, how can that happen? And, and then how can we view ourselves inward? And it was, a, it was a process for me at that time. And that poem also stayed with me as I, as I got older. Who are the Canadian poets that internationally we should have heard of? I mean, I don't know that I could name any um, Canadian poet, which is very shaming. <laughs> Could I name any Canadian writers beyond Stephen Leacock and Margaret Atwood? I mean, this is embarrassing. But who, who are the people we should have heard of? Um, Andachi, Michael Andachi and, and Margaret Atwood are still probably the, the top Canadian writers that everyone seems to know about. Um, I tend to love writers who are a bit left field, 
Uh, Rue Borson, she did a lovely uh, po uh, poetry collection that really moved me, Short Journey Down the River, she did, and it was all about one river. Um, Karen Soli, she's a very good eco-poet. Um, and then I, when I was at the University of British Columbia, that's where I did my first degree in creative writing, I did all my studying in the Kerner Library, which was a library that was shaped to look like books. So it was a big glass library and it was in the shape of a book. And every day I went to go read in the stacks in the same seat. And I found all these contemporary multicultural voices that are global names now, like Evelyn Lau, whose book, You Are Not Who You Seen was huge for me. Uh, Sonnet Labe, um, she's great. And she did a bunch of new contemporary sonnets, like, like her name. Uh, Billy Ray Belcourt, a First Nations poet. He just won the Griffin. Um, Liz Howard, she's an amazing poet. She just recently won the Griffin, which the Griffin Poetry Prize is what you keep talking about, is the biggest poetry prize in the world. And it's um, a Canadian prize. And um, yeah, and there's so many, so many things um, that when I was discovering Canadian poetry, it wasn't just, you know, um, certain names, um, certain backgrounds, but it was a multicultural, you know, uh, thing of voices, which I really loved. What does poetry do that prose can't do, that drama can't do, that music doesn't do? What for you, why, why should people try to tune into poetry? What does it give us? I think for me, as someone who teaches poetry a lot to, to young writers and, and people getting their MAs in creative writing, I think what you really want is an interior conversation. You want to, you want to, two things. I think you want to read a voice that talks to you, the, in, the inside you though, the inward you. I think you want to read something that allows you to reflect upon your, 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 your world. And also the second thing is, I think you want poems to have realizations that you've had, but you've not been able to express. I think that's where that, that comes through, the magic of it comes through. And that tends to happen when the poet is good at talking about universal experiences, things that we've all gone through, but we've not really had time or, or, or cause to really talk about it in that way. And I think that's what makes poems stay with you. And I also think it's the, it's when you read the poem. Um, I think the poems you remember as a child because you've had to recite them or they meant something to you. I think those, those stay with you. Um, and then I think it's like music. Apparently the, the time in your life when you remember the most music is when you're 15 because you're growing up and everything's on the precipice. And I think that's the same with poetry. It depends on the time of, of, of your life when you encounter it. I think for me, it does anyway. One of the great consolations for me was when I read something that T.S. Eliot said about not having to always understand everything in a poem, that you didn't need to be able to explain everything away, that you could just sort of feel that something was coming across. You didn't have to explain every word. Do you agree with that? I think, I think a poem can be good, uh, you know, generally, but I think it can be enjoyed if you don't understand everything but you, you must like a certain part of it very much. I think even poems that aren't great, but then they have an amazing ending that makes them a good poem. It's just this one part that has to be amazing, um, you know, and, and, um, and I think one part that really has to speak to you and you'll remember that poem and that part probably for a very long time. And, and in your own poetry, what kind of inspires you when you're writing? Where, where do you go to, to make that connection? Um, a lot of things inspire me um, lately. 
um, for my, my first book, my book Seto, which I have here, which I'm going to read a poem from in a while. Um, it was about migration, actually, and, and how my parents removed from one country to another country and settled and how I moved from Canada to Scotland and and um, and the rest of the UK. And it was it was really about that, that sort of way of everything's moving all the time. You're constantly in flux and you're constantly reinventing yourself in different situations and sort of the different cultures that sort of you know, I'm one of those third generation people where your parents are from somewhere else, but move somewhere else, and then you move somewhere else. So I, I'm I'm part of the sort of millennial digital sort of culture, uh, which I love. And um, that sort of moves me as well. And language, sort of language moves me, um, you know, from those early days of just listening to that Dennis Lee poem, I'm just getting rhythms in your head, and then, you know, trying to write and emulate a certain rhythm, that also really moves me as well. Um, Sorry. Now, I was going to say, what of you is, what are the characteristics in you that are Canadian? You are such an interesting mix of being a world person, a Commonwealth person, a Spanish, a Filipino, Canadian, Scottish person, now teaching, I think, at the University of Newcastle. So you are totally a mixture of things. What, as it were, of Canada speaks in you? Um. Well, at work, they say it's my optimism. <laughs> Lots of Canadian optimism that I try to bring in uh, uh, and, and positivity. Um, I think, though, a sense of openness, um, you know, a sense of being honest. I think sometimes here um, there's a sense of being reticent, you know, living in, in, in the UK of, of, of maybe holding back sometimes in literature. And I try not to do that in my work. I, I try for it to be really open and honest and emotionally available, I think, is something I want to be in my work. And um, um, yeah, definitely positivity and, and a sense of the environment, I suppose, is something I bring in as well. Um, you know, just constantly aware of of the weather, the snow, you know, the light, the lake, things like these things. Just just bringing in the outside world just a, a little bit more, I think, is what I hope to bring, um, is what I hope I retain as part of my Canadianness living here. Well, shall we hear one of the poems? Give us, as it were, the poem that isn't by you first. Okay. Um, this is one of the poems, as I mentioned in, in, in the first part. Um, Dark Pines Underwater um, by Gwendolyn McEwen, and I absolutely um, adore this poem. Dark Pines Underwater by Gwendolyn McEwen. This land like a mirror turns you inward and you become a forest in a furtive lake. The dark pines of your mind reach downward. You dream in the green of your time. Your memory is a row of sinking pines. Explorer, you tell yourself, this is not what you came for, although it is good here in green. You had meant to move with a kind of largeness. You had planned a heavy grace, an anguished dream. But the dark pines of your mind dig dip deeper, and you are sinking, sinking, sleeper in an elementary world. There is something down there and you want it told. Um, so that's the poem by Gwen McCune. I remember reading that when I was about 15 and just totally, just totally blew my mind. And, and in terms of being able to sort of, sort of relay a sort of interior feeling of the dark pines of your mind reaching downward, you know, a sense of yourself just 
in deep thought and uh, enough things sinking um, of, of a sense of sinking um, on the inside. And I just remember thinking that was an amazing poem for that reason. Give us the context of, of Gwendolyn. When, what is her period? What is the, the, the poet there that you were reading? Um, what, what is her, when did she come? Is she, still, is she still alive? Yes. No, no, no. She's, she's, she's not passed. Um, I'm not sure I know her history as much other than this one collection, which from The Shadow Maker, which I read a lot in Toronto. Um, and when, no, not Toronto. Um, when I was growing up. But she, was, she wrote a lot about the subconscious and the inner traveler and the inner explorer, I think. And she sort of hints on the histories of everyone who discovered Canada, you know, the anguished explorer coming to there. And I think that's a big theme in Canadian poetry is the explorer. Um, Margaret Atwood writes about this a lot, you know, in the journals of Susanna Moody, people who have come and conquered, not conquered so much, but has come and uh, and, and sort of explored parts of Canada and, and you know, <laughs> sort of named it or or had a place of, of it in in a part of it in the land there. I think that's one thing that struck me about this poem was the sense of exploration and the sort of your body is part of the landscape. You know, there's a connection between the body and landscape here. And that always really struck me. Before we ask you to read your poem, tell us a little bit about the work you're you're now doing. I know you won this uh, Muriel Spark Centenary Award. And you've been writing a, a sequence of poems entitled Why We Love You, which is based, I think, on Muriel Sparks' own writing. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. But give us the background to that. Um, the Muriel Spark Award um, was for a series of poems of going into her archive. So I did that for a while uh, and it was wonderful. Um, I went into her archive and read all her letters um, you know, I, I touched the dress she wore to the 1970s, uh, whatever year the, the Prime Minister Jean Brody won the, the Oscar. I touched the dress she wore, you know, and um, and her, all her family photos and her diaries. Um, so I was writing a series of poems about that um, as a way as a like an alternative catalog to the archive, which was numerous. Um, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful to read the work of someone, the letters, the personal letters of someone who could really write, actually. So they were really funny and witty and kind of mean as well. She had a mean streak about her. And um, and it was funny to read the things that were written to her. Like she had letters from Jackie, um, Jackie Onassis. Um, she had letters from... Uh, Maggie Smith, when Maggie Smith won the Oscar for the Pirate Miss Jean Brody. Um, and she had letters from her mother, which were wonderful, you know, really funny letters. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what that was. What do you normally draw for your inspiration from and now, now the poems you're now writing? Um, archives for me are a big thing. Um, I've been writing, um, I recently won um, a Crave Scotland Award to write poems about um, um, interracial relationships. Um, my partner is, is Scottish and we just had a baby um, who is actually Filipino, Spanish, Irish, Scottish, Canadian, everything. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I write a lot about interracial relationships and um, in Canada and in the UK. Um, in Canada, they're, they're like quite a lot, 25%, but in, in the UK, they're only about 4%. So that's really, really interesting to me and sort of chimes in the themes of 
migration and moving and the global sense of, of belonging and things. I write a lot about that. Um, I'm actually just finishing my, my, sec my second collection at the moment. I've been trying to finish it on my, on my leave here. And the main theme of it is, is archive, things I've found. And, um, and I, I try to write about them in a way that, that makes sense to me. Like you explore an object for what the object means to you, but also, also what it means to the world. And that's kind of what I did with the mural spark thing. I wrote about the telegram from Maggie Smith and I wrote about um, uh, letters that her best friend wrote. I wrote about the dress and I wrote about lots of her food diaries, everything like that. So you end up writing about objects, things that you can take with you. And the poem you're going to read to us now, what's that? Um, um, I'm not sure if I should read one from my first collection or if I should read one from... Well, you could treat us, you could spoil us, we could get a double whammy. I mean, <laughs> okay, you know, Canada, as I say, is the second largest country in the world. I think we allow you a little bit of expansive possibilities. And given you're a global figure, feel free to do too. We okay. Love um, well, I have two here. I'll read um, this one. It's from um, a, a magazine actually from Canada that I recently published a poem in. It's from Arc Poetry Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine based in Toronto. And this is um, this is a new poem from my um my new collection, which I'm just just almost finishing. And it's I think I know the page number, but I don't. Uh, here, um, I was reading a lot of Foucault <laughs> recently. Um, um, Foucault, discipline and punishment, and it was just the sense of. And the reason I, I read a lot of philosophy is to get a sense of the body of a poem. Um, and it's something I encourage my students to do. You know, don't just read literature, read, read other things, because a poem is informed by lots of different kinds of thinking. Um, so I was reading Foucault and there was a quote that he says, um, the lyricism marginality finds inspiration in the outlaw. And that was a quote that kind of stayed with me. Um, Say that again, the lyricism. So lyricism of marginality finds inspiration in the outlaw. Um, and that's from Discipline and Punishment. And I was, I was thinking about the individual in terms of, of um, how we exist in the world and what makes some of us um, sort of rebel or stand out. So this one's called, uh, um, it's, this was also about part of my sequence on mixed race relationships. So it's called Daddy Foucault. Daddy Foucault, we don't have to be polite anymore. I think of how you said the lyricism of marginality finds inspiration in the outlaw, on the in the outlaw, on Princess Street, outside the National Gallery, where the Western world shows itself, all strong pillars and slipped light. I study the art, skeptical of framed life, pale bears more pouts. Revved up queens with cello shoulders, casting stink eye to stags on cloud peaked hills. Whiteness is a measure of depth of color. Never mind the historical ashen faces, a harp's gilded curves and snowy parlor rooms. Even the locks beget a bland glimmer. All myself, I've thought of myself in terms of whiteness without realizing why. Everything at its core is white bones, waves, and tofu. His warm chest in our room where we rested behind glass, weren't we just like art? How our skins blended like two varieties of sand, 
a tender bread color versus a deep terracotta and how the sunlight framed us. Foucault, nothing here reminds me of me. When did it become normal to look at objects behind glass and not see yourself? You were right, of course, to identify with the peripheral, the dark barn misleading the eye, mossy dots cleaving the waterside. This will be the way into the narrative until one day becomes day one. Good. Well, <laughs> yes, it's powerful stuff. So that's a poem about, you know, visiting historical paintings and not seeing representations of, of my generation there in the same way. Um, and that was really inspired by going to art galleries and seeing reflections of, of sort of symbols like stags and, and mountains and things and just trying to feel represented, I think. Mm. Very good. What's the other one? We want to. They're so good. Um, I'll just uh, I'll just end uh, with this one. And it's about uh, Canada, really. And it's about how my parents met. Yeah, they could have met in a few different ways. It was quite funny. I think they were. Uh, meant to be together in that way. But it's called uh, Simpsons Department Store, Toronto. My parents could have met in Manila on a sweaty jeepney or down a market alley. Instead, as two explorers, not used to hats, scarves, or heavy coats. They laughed when I asked where. Oh, we met in the stationary aisle. Mum hunted a present for a nun, and Dad searched for paper clips. Two years later, they were married at St. Michael's, he in a rumpled suit and she in a bargain dress, clutching winter roses. But they could have met at a hospital. The years uncovered this fact. In Manila, mum was nurse to dad's sick aunt. But back to that day in the stationary aisle, mum chose a fountain pen. My dad said, that's a good present for a nun. I tell their story to feel less lonely. The sweet rush of one leaving first than the other, beyond the store's bold signs and frosted steps, into Toronto's starry expanse. As if this was how they came in, they came over, twin dark heads in the snow. Marvellous. <laughs> Great story. We can picture the scene completely, can't we? We can. It's really beautiful. Mm. Well, look, we think you're wonderful, Teresa. We'll look out for the next collection. If people want to get hold of your first collection, what's it called? Who publishes it? It's we'll put called, it all on the website. It's called Settle and it's still available. It's available from Vagabond Voices. Uh, it's a glass, it's a Scottish publisher. Good. We'll look out for that. And we'll look out for you. We think you're brilliant. And, oh, thank you. you. Thank you for a wonderful chat. Thank you, Teresa. Thank we you. think you're wonderful. So you in Newcastle or Edinburgh or indeed Vancouver or Toronto someday. <laughs> Maybe even vanilla. Maybe even vanilla, <laughs> exactly. That's it for this podcast. Our thanks to Teresa Munoz, who chose to read two of her own poems, Daddy Foucault and Simpsons Department Store, Toronto. Join us next time when we'll be in another Commonwealth country with more poetry from the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth Poetry Podcast is presented by Giles Brandreth and Afra Brandreth and produced by the University of Chester. Our special thanks to them and to the Royal Commonwealth Society. And of course, to you for listening.